Welcome back to the program. We know that our genes help make us what we are. But of the 25,000 genes we possess, a relatively few are significantly different from person to person. Some of those are often referred to as the compatibility gene. Genes that arguably impact our relationship and determine how we respond to infection and disease. Daniel Davis, in his new book, The Compatibility Gene, cuts through the complexities of genetics to reveal much about perhaps the most important section of genes that defines what it means to be human. Daniel Davis is currently professor of immunology at the University of Manchester, where he's done research at the Manchester Collaborative Center for Inflammation Research. He's the winner of the Oxford University Press Science Writing Prize, and it is my pleasure to welcome Daniel Davis here to talk about the compatibility gene, how our bodies fight disease, attract others, and define ourselves. Daniel Davis, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. It's a great pleasure to be here. Delight to have you here. Of the 25,000 or so genes that make us who we are, talk a little bit about this fact that most of them are pretty similar from person to person. There aren't that many significant differences. Right. So... We each have, as you say, around 25,000 genes, and, and by and large, those genes are very similar from one person to the next. Roughly speaking, about 99.9% of our genome is the same. There's a human genome, and we all have very similar genes. But there obviously are some differences uh, between people. For example, the genes that control hair color, eye color, skin color, do vary from one person to the next. But you know, what, one of the reasons that I really wanted to write this book was was that was to make you know to, to discuss with people this uh, this fascinating uh, aspect of the human genome that, in fact, the genes that vary the most from one person to the next don't actually control any. Thing that's obvious, like a physical difference between people, like hair color, eye color, gene, uh, skin color. The thing that's different the most from one person to the next are these genes uh, called the compatibility genes. Actually, they have a formal scientific long name, the major histocompatibility complex genes. But in the book, I just abbreviate that to compatibility genes. And then I wanted to discuss this sort of 60-year-long scientific adventure where we try to find out what these genes really do in the body. For a long time, we understood after the human genome was sequenced, we understood that it was a mutation here, a mutation there, that caused certain diseases. What we're finding out now is that it is much more complex than that. That's right. So, so there are a few diseases... Huntington's disease or cystic fibrosis where one small change to one gene really underlies that disease. But that is very rare and much more common is, the, is that diseases are, are influenced by very complex interactions between many different uh, uh, genes along with other factors, environmental factors, the, uh, our history of exposure to other diseases or toxins, our age, all kinds of parameters. And so disease has become very, very complicated. A very fascinating uh, thing is that you can uh, uh, rank all of the genes 
that humans have uh, and rank them according to which genes make us more or less uh, susceptible or resistant to all kinds of diseases. And here's the striking thing that top, the top gene that influences our resistance or susceptibility to a huge number of different diseases are these genes, the compatibility genes, the ones that vary the most from one person to the next. And the area in which they have a profound influence are areas that, that affect our immune system and inflammation, how we fight disease. So many of the diseases like cancer that we're dealing with today really stem from this whole immune system response. That's exactly right. So these genes affect our resistance and susceptibility to a huge number of different diseases because they're crucially important in how our immune system works. And so, let me give you one example. So, for example, when, when people are, uh, might be infected with HIV, there's a period of time before they would develop the, the full-blown disease AIDS. And that period of time can vary. Uh, uh, for, and for a few people, about one in 300 people, that can be about seven years or more, the time from when they get infected with HIV to when they get the actual full-blown disease of AIDS. So for those few people, that their, their immune system is effectively able to fight off the virus for quite a long period of time. And the key to what helps their immune system fight off HIV is that they have particular versions of these compatibility genes, or at least that's one of the key uh, uh, genetic factors that enables them to fight off the virus for a long period of time. So these genes influence our ability to fight off uh, infections, and each of us will have different versions of these genes, and each of us will have slightly different abilities to fight off different kinds of uh, uh, infectious disease. So, for example, if you or I both got infected with the, with the flu virus, uh, uh, then you, know, you might recover in, in seven days and I might recover in eight days. And one of the reasons for that difference would be the different versions of these genes that we have. One of the things you point out is how significantly different these genes are from person to person, that they are kind of a genetic fingerprint in many respects. Right. So these genes are, in fact, the genes that vary the most from one person to the next. And in fact, they are a molecular mark uh, of our individuality. So it's not that they're entirely unique, but they're fairly unique. So, for example, the set of genes that I have, uh, personally, there were four other people out of 18 million that had similar versions of these genes to me. So they're relatively... Uh, a fairly unique marker of each person's individuality. And that's, in fact, how, are they, how they were discovered in the first place, because they are important uh, uh, in, in transplantation. So these genes mark each cell in your body as being part of your own. Uh, and, and that's important uh, in transplantation. These are the genes that doctors would have to match in, in certain kinds of organ transplantation to have the most likely chance uh, of the operation being successful. How many specific genes are involved in this set of what you call the compatibility genes? 
So there are there, the compatibility genes. They're actually it's slightly complicated. There are actually sort of class one, class two uh, uh, sets. And if we take just for example the the the, the so-called class one genes. So those are genes that uh, um, are important in all the cells of your body. And there are three versions of that gene that are called A, B, and C. And you would inherit one of the A genes from your mum and one from your father. So you would have two versions of the A gene, two versions of the B gene, two versions of the C gene, uh, for, uh, just as an example. So in total, you would have six different versions of that particular class one compatibility in the class one that's on the surface of of nearly all the cells in your body. As we become immune to certain diseases, whether through vaccination or through the fact that we've had a particular disease and our immune system has worked through it, how does that impact the genetics that go along with it? So when you when you are infected with a certain virus, for example, or disease, then your body does uh, 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 is able to then recognise that same germ faster a second time round. But that's not really not clearly uh, uh, a, a ch- it's not a, a change in your genes. Your genes are are by and large fixed. Of uh, uh, but but cells are primed and and, and kept in a state where if they see that same germ again, then they're more, the, the immune system is more efficiently activated again. So it's certainly true that, uh, for example, if we were both infected with flu, coming back to that example, you would recover much faster from that flu if your body had seen that flu before. And that would be one of the crucial factors that determine how well you recover from flu. But if we were both infected with a flu that ab- neither of our bodies had ever seen before, then that memory of the immune system is less important and, and the other factors would be important, which would then include our differences in these immune system genes. Since we have sequenced the human genome, one of the things we've heard a lot about is the idea of gene replacement therapy. Is that something that is, that is viable to think about in the context of how we deal with our body's response to various disease and our immune system overall? So, you know, for, for, for the few rare diseases where a single gene is, is uh, uh, responsible for that disease, then, then down the line some kind of uh, manipulation of that gene might be possible. But in this particular uh, uh, situation where we're talking about these compatibility genes that vary the most between people, and change our resistance and susceptibility to different diseases, then it's much more subtle. The, the, the actual individual uh, um, uh, effect that each version of these genes have is relatively small. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. These genes subtly change our ability to fight off <laughs> different diseases. And one very, very important message from our understanding of how all of this works is that there is not a perfect set of these genes or an ideal version of these genes. It's actually the our diversity in these genes that's specifically uh, crucial to how our immune system works. We must all have different versions of these genes for our immune system to be able to fight off all different kinds 
of illnesses. So maintaining diversity, in fact, this whole story is a celebration of diversity and the power of each individual, because we must have different versions of these genes to fight off disease. So let me give you that example that I mentioned where a person might have a particular version of compatibility gene that allows them to be particularly strong at fighting off HIV. The same version of that gene that's powerful at fighting off HIV actually would make them susceptible to another kind of uh, uh, disease. So a, a gene that's good at fighting one illness would make you more susceptible to, to a different illness. And each of us then have different versions of these genes giving us slightly different resistance and susceptibilities to all kinds of diseases. So you wouldn't want to replace any one person's gene with any other version. It's a, we want to maintain that diversity in the population. It's essential to how our immune system works. Do these genes have an impact on any other aspects of human development? One of the things you talk about, arguably, also is the degree to which it involves brain development. Talk about that. These genes, we've mentioned, are important in, in medicine for transplantation. And they're also important, crucially, in the immune system. Now, there's a series of experiments done to show that, in fact, the these very same compatibility genes, the, the genes that remember that vary the most from one person to the next, are also important in whole other areas of human biology. And that includes uh, some evidence that they're important in the activity of the brain. For example, these, there's experiments showing that these genes are important in uh, uh, um, creating, uh, stabilizing synapses between neurons in the brain. Uh, and making them longer-lived or shorter-lived. And there's also evidence that these same genes can play a role in uh, the sexual attraction between two people and in uh, the light, some of the problems that couples might have in pregnancy might also be re related to the versions of these genes that people have inherited. And I guess the sort of big idea that, that, that should come across in my book is that these things imply that many of these different aspects of human biology are fundamentally connected. And in fact, there's a sort of overarching system uh, uh, that, is, that controls who lives and who dies at multiple levels, with the outcome being to keep these genes especially diverse. These are the genes that vary the most from one person to the next, and that is very important and that and the, there are many aspects of human biology uh, keeps up this diversity that we have in these genes to give us as individuals and across all of humankind our strong ability to keep fighting off disease. One of the things you talk about as it relates to sexual attraction and, and, and various other kinds of, of personal attraction is that there are two schools of thought about this, that people with similar genetic profiles with respect to these genes are attracted to each other, the other school of thought being precisely the opposite, that it is those with, with very varying degrees of these sets of genes that are attracted to each other. Talk about that. So these experiments are highly controversial. Uh, and as you say, people have come to different conclusions even as to what the results uh, show. Now, 
there are two reasons why the, why the experiments, or at least two reasons, two big reasons why the experiments are controversial. So let me just explain uh, the details of, of that kind of experiment. So, for example, women were, in one experiment that's well known, women were asked to rank the smell of T-shirts uh, worn by men uh, for a couple of days and rank them according to how sexy they felt that they smelt. Uh, and the outcome was that women preferred uh, the smell of T-shirts uh, worn by men that had different versions of these jeans to themselves. Now, the controversy is that, or one of the big controversies is that if women rank the smell of T-shirts, say, 5 out of 10, uh, as opposed to 4 out of 10, then clearly, you know, you can see you could do a scientific study to show that when uh, men had different versions of these genes to the women, they would prefer the smell, give them 5 out of 10, rather than 4 out of 10, and you could prove that as a statistical test and prove that that's true. But the controversy is, if you rank the smell of T-shirts as 5 out of 10 rather than 4 out of 10, is that really going to influence your behavior at the level of choosing a, a lifelong partner, for example? So human relationships are very complicated. And so although you could find some fundamental biology uh, around that, that how big an impact that has is very difficult to know. And that's because inherently smell is very difficult to study um, uh, of all our senses. Uh, it's extremely hard to do scientific analysis o uh, over smell because, you know, you can, you can, in every download, you digitally uh, store sound, uh, for example. But, but the smell is very hard to quantify and it's very hard to, uh, you know, how do you describe the smell of vanilla? There's no way to describe that in any mathematical sense. And so there's no, and, and, and then there's no way to really clearly understand how our perception of smell influences our, our behavior. So, that, so that's controversial. And the other controversy is, as you were uh, uh, alluding to, that different versions of that experiment also led to different uh, outcomes. And so, and so one way of interpreting that is that, you know, these, these kinds of questions are very moody orientated. And in one type of situation, if you ask people how sexy a, uh, a, a T-shirt smells, or if you ask them how pleasant a T-shirt smells, you might get different kinds of uh, responses depending on the environment of that experiment uh, and the way the question is framed. Uh, in some situations, uh, you know, the thinking behind that might be that in some situations you might be looking for partners that have different versions of these genes. In other situations, you might prefer to smell, it might be more pleasant to smell T-shirts that have similar versions of the genes to yourself, such as family members. So, so it's very difficult. Uh, uh, so in the book, I actually describe in some detail all of these experiments and go through the nuances about the, the pros and cons of each version of that experiment. And then you're kind of left to make up your own mind about what, what, what that what that means, and I think that there's very clear evidence that, it, that this is a, 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 there's some fundamental basic biology going on here, because in animals it's certainly true. So there's very good experiments done where mice can run along a Y-shaped tunnel, so they run up the bottom of the Y and then they can go down one prong or the other prong, and they would choose to mate, there would be two other mice at the, at the, at the either of the two prongs at the end, and they would choose to go down one tunnel rather than the other one to mate with a mouse that had different versions of these compatibility genes. Uh, and similarly, you could do experiments like that with fish, where they also clearly do choose partners 
according to, related to these compatibility genes. So there's some fundamental biology that's clear, but the impact it has on human behavior is where the controversy is. Mm-hmm. Well, talk a little bit about where the cutting-edge research is at the moment into these compatibility genes and where we hope that it will take us with respect to under, better understanding the immune system, inflammation, our reaction, and, and the way we deal with different diseases, etc. Right. So, clearly, it, 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 it's, it's well understood, actually, how these genes work. And it's hard in the immune system. And it, it's hard to uh, paraphrase that in a, in a, in a short soundbite over the... Uh, over the telephone, but it takes me sort of 60 pages to describe that, but it is very well understood how these genes influence our immune response. Now, in the future, uh, uh, you know, so, that, so there's, there's some good understanding of why these genes make you more resistant or susceptible to different diseases. And in, and in the future, we, if, if, if we take that that's understood, then it might, you know, it doesn't seem such a stretch to think that how we respond, if how we respond to disease is influenced by these genes. It's not much of a stretch to think that how we respond to medicine will also be influenced by the versions of these genes that we have. So one of the future hopes for new medicine is that we will tailor uh, uh, the drugs that we receive according to versions of of genes that we have, (laughs) including these genes that vary the most. So that, w- that would be uh, uh, one uh, uh, avenue by which uh, uh, future medicine would benefit from our understanding of these genes. And there are already some examples of that. For example, one of the HIV drugs can give quite bad side effects to people, uh, and, but it's already established that, that whether or not you will get bad side effects from that particular drug correlates with which versions of these genes that you have. And so you could, av- you could avoid giving the drug to people that have certain versions of these genes, and then you would avoid giving uh, uh, bad side effects to uh, the certain group of people that would have those, those problems with that drug. Talk a little bit about what we still don't understand about how these genes work and, and where they ha- where, uh, what other aspects of, of the human system do they have impact? Right. So I think where... So we do understand quite well uh, how they work in the immune system. Uh, but, but what we don't understand really is how big an impact they have in these other areas of human biology. We spoke a little bit about they work in the brain and they, work, they might work in sexual attraction. <laughs> they also might work, be important, uh, during pregnancy. For example, there's evidence that in the, when a... When a um, a, a placenta is being uh, built, in effect. Uh, then the placenta is where blood from the baby would pick up nutrients uh, from, the, from the mother. And the, the way that the placenta is structured, the, the, the way that blood flows in the placenta might be organized by uh, immune cells, in fact. And, those, and that's why these genes that work primarily in the immune system, might also influence the success of uh, pregnancy. And, and so there are glimmers of data that show that that's true, but we do still understand relatively little about how that works in detail. 
and then how that might uh, uh, relate to this idea that there's a sort of overarching system where pregnancy is linked to our ability to fight disease, that there has been some, in the way that our immune system has evolved, these genes are exceptionally diverse and they're kept exceptionally diverse by these genes also playing a role in these other areas of human biology, such as pregnancy. Daniel Davis, the book is The Compatibility Gene, How Our Bodies Fight Disease, Attract Others, and Define Ourselves. It's just out from Oxford University Press. Daniel, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. We'll take a break. I'll Thank be right you. Back. Take care.